right. Um, so we're, this is our last uh, message we're doing on this mini-series on uh, the stories of Jesus, and we've going, been going through some of the parables of Jesus. There are, there are plenty more parables to do. I'm sure we could add to this series in the future. But uh, next Sunday, uh, the 27th, is the first Sunday in Advent. And so um, starting on that Sunday, um, is uh, we'll just be start uh, looking towards Christmas and celebrating Christ's birth. What does that mean for us? Uh, what does that mean for the world? Uh, so really looking forward to that. And uh, um, I think it was uh, a few years ago I did actually use the book of Luke for the Christmas season for, for Advent. But um, so I'm going to try not to recycle messages, <laughs> try to refresh those. But we're going to continue on through the book of Luke into next year. So um, in our newsletter, we have a monthly newsletter that um, if you don't get it and you'd like to sign up to receive it, just send us an email at info at darbycreek.org. But in that newsletter coming up um, for, De- uh, for December, we'll have a number of resources that you may be interested in using if you want to study the book of Luke, uh, kind of in concert with as we're going through it as a church. Some of them will be devotional related, and then we'll also be printing up a reading plan that takes you through the book of Luke very, uh, at a very kind of slow pace, just you know, handful of verses every day to, to meditate on and think about and apply to your life. So kind of look to that, and, uh, but we're going to be, you know, the first basically two chapters of Luke are the Christmas story, everything leading up to the Christmas story and everything to Christ's birth and everything, so we will... Uh, we will be doing that starting next Sunday. All right, so let's go to let's go to prayer here. Let's ask for God's help this morning in the message time. Lord, we do thank you for just the gift of music and how um, fun it is to connect with you as we sing the truth about you, about what you've done for us. And um, Lord, we we just are just so thankful for being able to gather and hear one another singing. Um, and, uh, and just, God, it's just a blessing. And Lord, we, we want to take a time right now to just ask that you would prepare our hearts to hear your word, prepare our hearts to allow your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts and to, um, get a word from you that's just custom built for us. And so, Lord, we ask for that. We pray that you'd give us ears to hear. And Lord, we also want to pray for our brothers and sisters, uh, family members, friends who are hurting uh, this morning, who are who are battling disease, physical illnesses. Lord, we pray for your sustaining and healing power to be sent their way. Lord, we just um, Lord, we were just talking about angels, uh, and we know that they're real and that they're there are. There are your ministers of grace, and you send them on the errands. We pray that you would just uh, um, strengthen um, our our friend and friends and family members that need it, Lord, through whatever means, through your angels, through whatever, God. And uh, we just uh, pray that you'd help us to be the hands and the feet of Jesus to people who are in need, whether they be in the church or out of the church. And God, we just uh, ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. I'll pray for the shoe boxes at the end, if I could find it. Um, 
So this morning, we're going to be covering the parable of the soils. Uh, a lot of times it's called the parable of the sower, and, um, but it really has to do, the focus is on the soils. You'll see that uh, in short order if you're not too familiar with it. Um, so I'm just going to uh, break this down into two parts. This is, a, this is kind of a fun parable to, to teach on because Jesus tells us what it means, okay? And, uh, you know, it's great when, you know, you got, you got the man himself. He says, you know, that parable I told, this is what it means. Versus like ones that he told, and we're like, you know, you, do, you can surmise the main point typically. And, but sometimes you're wondering, I wonder if there's something more in there, you know, that we're missing. And, and so today we get, uh, not, only the, we, not only will we hear the story, but we'll, we'll also hear Jesus explain it. All right. Now, this is interesting that he tells the parable to the crowd, okay? His disciples are there too, but he's telling it to the crowd. And uh, I will just read the first nine verses of uh, Matthew chapter 13. So Matthew 13, 1 to 9, um, it says, uh, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered around him so that he got into a boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And so, as you can imagine, you just, just imagine just a hillside type of thing where there's a lake there. And, uh, and so, it's kind of a natural amphitheater, right? If you push out from the boat and your voice kind of echoing off the water. I mean, it's just, uh, it doesn't get any better than that, you know, pre-church sound system era, right? Um, I, I, uh, I did a wedding one time. It's, okay, rabbit trail here. did a wedding, time, a wedding one time in a, in a hall that had no, there was no electrical amplification, but I'm telling you, I was never more well heard in the way it was constructed. It was, I don't even remember the name of the place. It wasn't a church building, but it was definitely made for theater or something because uh, it was just amazing. But he was thinking about Jesus here, pushing off, back to the boat, and, um, and he sat down to teach, which is often what rabbis would do, teachers would do, is when you're going to teach, you sit down, right? That's typically the way it was. So he sat down, and he certainly, people looked to him as their teacher, right? Okay, so it goes on, verse 3, and it says, He told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell along the rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on the good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Uh, and then he said, he who has ears, let him hear. Um, now, isn't it fascinating how he ends that? It's like, well, we all have ears, but we don't all have ears to hear. Okay, Everybody that day out there, they heard the message, but not everybody really heard the message, really understood, or really took it to heart. And uh, that's what uh, Jesus often says uh, when he's telling one of these parables is uh, that he is saying, uh, I'm going to tell you a story, but uh, some of you aren't going to get it. It's kind of like 
uh, well, it's it's worse than this though. But it's kind of like you know somebody telling a joke and you just being clueless. You know what what is that even about, right? Um, and and there would be some people who would hear this, who'd be like, I I understand the sewing thing, but what does that have to do with us? That's what they'd be thinking. You know? Okay, so um, now uh, some things to note about this parable here, uh, as we kind of just read just this. Him, him saying the story, telling the story. Uh, nothing is said about the sower and his skill to sow the seed. Right? It's kind of like the, you know, it, technically we don't even know who it is. Right? I mean, we could probably conjecture something, uh, you know, as, as certainly when we hear the explanation. But uh, the focus doesn't really seem to be on the sower at all uh, and on their great ability to really just sow that seed. Right? Now, uh, most of us have not grown up in an era of agriculture where you're sowing seed by hand, right? And back then, they're not going to have, typically not going to have, you know, barbed wire fences uh, uh, delineating the land and everything. There would be footpaths all around, right? Trampled down footpaths and, and all that. And so, you know, as... The, the sower is, is sowing the seed out there, you know, just naturally, because you want to try to sow up to the edge, some of it's going to go on these hardened footpaths and in these different types of soil, right? So, but nothing is really said about the, the skill of the sower, okay? Uh, nothing is said about the quality of the seed either. Isn't that interesting? It, it all comes from the same source. The seed that bears fruit is the very same kind of seed that's choked out all the same seed, right? And so uh, we're kind of left to conclude here that the lesson is in this parable is really all about the soil. That's the only difference, right, is the soils were different. They, they had a different receptivity to the seed, right? And so that's really where the lesson lies. Now, uh, I, I kind of sk- I'm skipping, uh, I'll mention uh, uh, here briefly, but I'm skipping a few verses because I actually read these verses to you guys uh, about a week or so ago when I said, why did Jesus talk in parables? Why did, he, why did he share a lot of these stories and then, you know, even didn't give an explanation? Um, and the next, few, next handful of verses actually uh, talk about that. Um, let me see here. Uh, when you get to verse 10, I don't have it up here, but it says, the disciples came and said, why do you speak to them in parables? And, uh, and he answered uh, them. Now, get, did you get the fact that he's not with the crowd anymore? He says, uh, then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak in parables? And he answered to them and said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one he, who has, more will be given, and, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, who has not even what he has will be taken away. Says this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And I mentioned this uh, short uh, few verses here um, in, in, that follows this parable uh, a couple weeks ago, just saying Jesus told parables to expose this, the spiritual condition of people's hearts. Okay, that's what he did, and that's what he's saying, because he's basically saying uh, when I say this, people that get it you know, are, are those people who get the, the way he describes it is, you hear him describe it as um, secrets of the kingdom, 
the Bible talks a lot about mysteries. You know, if you look in, if you look in um, uh, the book, book of Ephesians, it talks about you know, the mystery of the gospel, right? That it not only includes uh, the Jews, but the Gentiles, right? And that, that being a mystery, right? Well, mystery in the Bible doesn't mean like things you can't solve. It just means that they were something that wasn't known before, but now has been revealed, right? And so secrets of the kingdom would be like people that get it, that it were to where to whom it's been revealed, and those that don't understand the secrets of the kingdom are those who has not been revealed, right? And so Jesus is telling these this parable, like all of his others, um, because uh, he's just going to expose uh, the spiritual deafness, if you will, of many of the people who were listening. Now, let's take a look as Jesus explains the parable to his disciples. Okay, so now he's, again, we just saw in the verse 10 that he's now not with the crowds anymore, but he's with the disciples. And um, here it says in verse 18, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Or, uh, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he, ha he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Verse 23, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. And so Jesus is, has explained the parable. Now let's kind of go through it. Uh, a little bit. And so you're going to notice some of the things now have been kind of revealed to us a little bit here, that the seed represents God's word, and most likely here is the gospel message of the, you know, of the kingdom's come, you know, in Christ and what he had come to do to, to offer himself as a, a sacrifice for our sins on the cross, right? And uh, that is certainly uh, the message that is, I think, being talked about here um, and so the seed represents God's word. The sower is anyone who disperses the word of God or the gospel message. Um, you know, certainly Jesus was announcing the kingdom, right, when he was here talking about, uh, you know, speaking about the kingdom all the time. And then uh, he told his disciples to proclaim the kingdom, and he actually sent them out two by two um, to do some of that as well while he was still here. And then uh, when you look at um, the what's called the Great Commission in Matthew 28, uh, we all are then uh, told to go and make disciples, right? Well, to do that, to make followers of Jesus, we have to also herald the message. We have to pass the message along, right? And uh, we have to sow the seed of the gospel, okay? So, so the sower is anyone who disperses the word of God or the gospel message. So you, if you're a believer in Jesus you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, then you're considered to be a sower. So you are to be sowing. 
the Word of God. So um, another key here is just that the soil is the human heart, right? So he has told us that this is really about the condition of people's hearts, right? Is And so it's really, uh, uh, that's why I said I'm calling it the parable of the soils, because there are four different kinds of heart responses to the message of salvation, all right? So we'll We'll talk about those four different types of heart responses, and uh, at, at towards the end here, then I'll mention, okay, well, so what does that mean for somebody that maybe hasn't um, uh, hasn't really considered Jesus or doesn't know what to think about him? And also, what does this mean for for those who have received Christ? What, what uh, benefit or application would we all have? So we'll get to that in just a little bit. But let's talk about the different heart responses. All right, so we've got the different heart responses here. Number one, the hard heart. The hard heart. Um, I will, um, what I'm going to do here is for each one of these heart responses, I've got the verse back in the story and the verse in the explanation so that you can kind of see the connection since it's been a few minutes since we read those. Okay, so let's look at the hard heart. Uh, the verse 4, uh, it says, And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. Uh, that's that footpath I was talking about. Something that's been trodden down, compacted, right, um, uh, near the field or maybe even a cut-through path through the field. But, um, um, but, it, but it says that the, the, the seed that was sown there, the birds came and devoured them. And, and Jesus, in his explanation, in verse 19, says of that, he says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So he gives us this bit of understanding here. So this is the person who hears the message, doesn't understand it, and, and typically, in not understanding it, rejects it. Right? And not understanding, rejects it. Um, so the devil comes along and snatches the seed that was sown. Now the Old Testament has a phrase for this, uh, stiff-necked. Okay, if you've read the Old Testament, you'll come along a phrase. And, and actually he's talking a lot about you know, his own people. <laughs> his own people have become stiff-necked, right? Um, and he's not saying that they just slept on it wrong the night before. Okay, that has nothing to do with what he means is, and I've got, I do have a verse here uh, for you, um, is Jeremiah 19, 15. I, I don't have it on the screen, but listen to the, the, the word of God here in Jeremiah 19, 15. Jeremiah, a prophet of the Lord, says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing upon this city and upon all its towns, all the disaster I have pronounced against it. So there would have been a prophetic word against some of these towns that have come. And he says, I'm going to bring that about because, here's the reason why, because they have stiffened their neck, comma, refusing to hear my words. So a stiff-necked person is someone who's refusing to hear what God has to say. It be on anything beyond anything, okay? But uh, in this context here in this, the sower, uh, as they're sowing the seed, this, the stuff that fell on the footpath, the hard, compacted ground, is a hard heart that basically um, they reject it. They're stiff-necked 
and basically saying, I reject that. And I reject that message. Um, <laughs> one time, years ago, I was, I was uh, at Ohio State University, and I was out. Uh, uh, oftentimes, I'd go out with a friend or two, and we would go into the um, Ohio Union there, uh, which is just a, a hangout place where people, students would sit and read the paper or study whatever. And I, was, I went up to, uh, basically was just asking some um, questions that would, might lead into the gospel. I wasn't forcing myself on anybody. I just simply just said, hey, do you have a talk? I went up to this one guy and said, do you have a few minutes that I could ask you a couple questions, spiritual questions? We're taking a little survey. He put his paper on his head and he said, I would call that somewhat of a rejection, um, and it, but you know, of course, he didn't get a chance to hear it from me. But I think he may have heard it from somebody else, and so he was rejecting it, at least in the opportunity to hear it again. Um, and uh, now, uh, John MacArthur says this about this person with the hard heart. He says, "Indifference, insensibility, and a love for sin have made this person's heart dense, dry." and impenetrable, and impenetrable. Um, uh, did you notice how it says in the, in the verse here uh, that we have up on the screen, right, that the evil one comes and snatches away the seed, right, the, the, the sowing of the seed of the gospel, right? And um, the enemy, the, uh, Satan, can do this in all kinds of ways, right? Uh, he has all kinds of schemes. Uh, he will use deceit. Lies about the gospel, lies about Jesus, right? Somebody believing the wrong things about Jesus and, and saying and, and many, you know, one of the lies that uh, has been around for a long time is Jesus was a, was a great teacher, but he wasn't really God, okay? Uh, he wasn't really God come in the flesh, which the Bible uh, says. Um, you know, just a great teacher, very the most loving person who ever lived, right? Uh, well, that's, that's only very part of the story. And part of the truth, right? So, and that's the way Satan loves it. You know, it's usually half truths. Uh, you know, put a spin on it. And so, uh, when somebody's hearing the gospel uh, and then they reject it, many times it's because it's of lies about the gospel or about Jesus, uh, Satan will confuse people uh, by exposing them to false teachers, exposing them to false teachers, false teachers that who uh, claim to be speaking in the name of God but are preaching a false message about the gospel. So he'll, he'll confuse them. Um, he will get them to fear. This is a big one. He will get people to fear what others will think if they believe. Okay, you get that? He, he will get people to fear. He'll play off their fear because they'll, they'll see the implications many times of the gospel. If somebody shares the gospel with somebody, they'll kind of realize what it means to kind of be all in with Jesus. I'd be like, that's going to that's gonna be a life change for me. That's going to be uh, have an impact on the people that I hang out with. That's just not going to fly. And so that fear factor will many times be what drives them away. Their fear is overwhelming. Um, even though they might have a sense that it, there might be something to this, they reject it because of fear. And so Satan plays off of that. And the other thing is Satan just tries to divert people's attention away from the truth and onto their sinful passions and worldly matters. Just kind of get them distracted. Get them busy doing other stuff, man. 
that's the best way, you know. Um, you know don't think about that God stuff, you know. That's going to change your life for the better. Don't be doing that, right? And so these are just thinking about how, uh, that's why I, I always think to myself that when, you know, when the gospel goes out, whether by an individual or through the church or whatever, um, it's critical that you pray that Satan doesn't snatch that seed, okay? Pray that, that God would, would uh, in a sense, plow up uh, the hearts of the people who are hearing so that they would be, it would be receptive, right? Because when you're sowing seed, you want open ground, right? You don't want hard ground. You want it you know, plowed up, this, you know, just ready to receive a seed, right? So, but uh, that's, that's the hard heart is that first response. Now, the second response is the superficial heart, the superficial heart. And let's go back to the original story here as Jesus told it in verse 5. He says, Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. Now, so, so rocky ground, whether it's, you know, gravelly ground that you think of, or maybe it's kind of below the surface of the dirt is stone. Right? And you know, but a lot of times, you know, something might spring up there real quick, but because it doesn't have enough depth of soil, it's going to die off, right? It's going to die off. So in verse 20, when Jesus explains the rocky soil, he says, as for what was sown on the, so on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. In other words, there, there's kind of this appearance of like, they seem to get it. Right, somebody, you know, it's and they're just excited about it, and there's this joy about the message of the good news, which you know would be a proper response, would it not? Like if you could realize that all your sins could be forgiven, past, present, future, and that the fact that you are now separated from God, if you have not accepted Christ, could now be uh, all you could be brought into God's presence and be a uh, a son and daughter of God. I mean, that if you really understand all that, it should bring a lot of joy, shouldn't it? Um, but but then he says, uh, says, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Uh, isn't that interesting that it says uh, that when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word? It's kind of like, um, you know, eventually if you're serious about following Jesus, and, and, and you're, you're not hiding that, and you, and you make it known, there's going to be some negative responses sometimes. There'll be positive responses, maybe some negative pushback, some negative responses, right? And, and maybe even some persecution because you're associated with not the world's caricature of Jesus, but the real Jesus, okay? The Jesus of the Bible, Okay? The one who made exclusive claims, the one who called out sin for what it was, but the one who also has mercy on whom he'll have mercy. And, and so we just um, have to realize that, you know, so that persecution is, is going to come um, for every believer immediately or, or at some point. But then here it says this person because, um, you know, it just sprung up real quickly but didn't really 
they, they didn't really truly believe, they didn't really take it down. It's almost like this intellectual assent, you know. Uh, that's what I kind of think about is there's some, some sort of intellectual assent to the, the facts of the gospel, but it really didn't travel that 18 inches or however many inches it is from your head to your heart, okay. Uh, it, it didn't connect with, at a heart level. And so there's some kind of a superficial response. The gospel didn't take root. Um, maybe this would be someone who was told, just pray this prayer, this special prayer, and you'll be saved. I mean, if somebody told me, told me you know, hey, just say this. Well, you know, this, I don't have it on here, but, you know, say this prayer, and you'll be forgiven. You know, if, if you know, that's not going to do anybody any good unless they've really understood what that is, what the, you know, some people call the sinner's prayer actually is saying, right? You have to connect with the fact that, oh, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior and that Jesus is the one and only Savior and, and he came to save me. And if I confess my sin to him and my need for him he, and ask for forgiveness, he will grant it to me, right? Um, but just praying a prayer doesn't save anybody. And so I'm not, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with praying sinner's prayer or whatever. I, you know, helping somebody, you know, if that's truly expressing their heart's desire, right? Um, but but somebody just praying a prayer doesn't mean anything really uh, when it comes to uh, truly coming to know Christ as Savior. Paul speaks about this actually uh, in Colossians. Um, he, he speaks about the importance of continuing to believe because this person here, the superficial faith person, right, um, uh, says, uh, you, you know, he's, he's basically saying, you know, but when the heat is on, they're gone, right? Uh, it really shows that they, you know, uh, you can't lose your faith. This is saying you never really had it. It looked like you did. And this is why I think it's important, you know, that uh, um, I think as a church, you don't want to be so quick to just dunk somebody in the baptismal tank. You want, you know, you want to see, you know, if are they, is there fruit in their life? Okay, that this shows the authenticity of the gospel. Okay, um, I mean, to be baptized, you just need to have received Christ as your Savior. And but I'm, but I'm simply saying, you need to kind of say, okay, as as best you humanly can discern the authenticity of someone's faith, uh, you need to do that, right, before um, having them uh, um, obey the Lord in baptism, right? Um, now, what Paul was saying to the Colossians in chapter 1, verses 21 to 23 says this. Um, he's emphasizing continuing to believe amidst perseverance. Here's what he says. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. So he's kind of saying, you know, before, kind of B.C., before Christ, before they knew Jesus, they were hostile in mind toward God, doing evil deeds. Verse 22, it says, He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And he's saying, okay, now that you, you have put your faith in Jesus, Right? He's going to be able to present you before God as holy, um, uh, not because you actually are holy uh, in your day-to-day life, but because he's seeing you through 
the lens of Jesus Christ, who is holy. Verse 23, though, here's what he says. Listen to the conditions. If, indeed, you continue in the faith. If, indeed, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Um, you know, so you, 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 ha- you see here what he's saying. is like, you know, continuing in the faith continues to show that you are his child, that you have been born again, that you are a Christian. But many will have a superficial response that doesn't last. Okay, So that's response number two. Response number three is the divided heart. The divided heart. Okay, And let's go back to verse 7 where Jesus mentions it in the story. He says, Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. So that's the, the seed that fell among the thorns, and they got in the and the seed got choked out. In Jesus' explanation of this, he says, As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. It proves unfruitful. You know, a thorn does not choke out the life of a plant suddenly. Think of a weed, you know. Think of a thistle in your backyard, you know. Uh, I had a few, you know. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm saying that facetious. I had plenty. Um, but, you know, it, it tends to crowd out the space that you need for the grass, right? And it ha- just happens, you know, over time. Now, you know, and why is it that weeds, like, grow better than anything else? Anybody figured that one out? Right? Like, you know, when, it, when it's parched, the weed is the only green thing you see, isn't it? Right? But, so, but the weeds and the thistles here in this, in this uh, story, are, it says, uh, is the cares of the world. The cares of the world. Think about what are the cares of the world? Well, there's a lot of many things to be anxious about, to be worried about, to be fearful about, right? If we if you don't know the Lord and are anchored in Him, okay? Um, because you know, just because you become a Christian, put your faith in Jesus, doesn't mean your life is just all you know, walking on water all the time, you know? No, no, it does not. You know, there are highs and there are lows. There are trials, and there are some real hard things, uh, losses that we go through, disappointments we experience, all kinds of things, right? And, and uh, you know, think about that as some of the cares of the world, or even just materialism could be like the cares of the world, right? Things that uh, kind of lure us uh, into pursuing stuff, things. Um, in fact, he calls out here the deceitfulness of riches, right? The deceitfulness of riches. And when you start reading what Jesus says in the Gospels, he's like, you know what? It's either, you know, I, I'm not going to share the spot of God with anything, okay? Jesus is like, either I'm at the center of your life or I'm not. Okay, money can't be the central driving force in our lives. 
uh, neither can the things of the world. James 1.8 says, the double-minded man, which is similar to a divided heart, is unstable in all his ways. You know, you can't balance Jesus as Lord and Savior and money, the love of money, being your God. Or the things of the world, going after those. Now, there's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with material things of the world. Those are tools, right? Those in and of themselves, they're not evil. They're not bad, right? But what can happen, though, is that we can be wanting the gifts that God can give more than we want Him. Or as some people say, we want the gift more than we want the giver, right? Um, Luke 16, 13 Jesus says, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, he says. So, you know, when you come to faith in Jesus, you have to settle this. Who's in charge? Jesus. Whose word has more weight? Someone else's, yours, or Jesus's? You know, the the answer is always Jesus, right? Jesus, God, and the Bible. That's the, that's the answer to every Sunday school question that you'll ever get, <laughs> typically. But, but Jesus' word ranks any thought to the contrary that you and I have. Okay? Whether you think it's reasonable or not. The Apostle John condemns a love for the world because he he mentions that, you know, this uh, cares of the world. First uh, John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's pretty darn clear, isn't it? <laughs> right? Love Jesus, love the world. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a pull. You can be a real Christian and there could be a pull of the world that could get you distracted and then, you know, you the Lord... And his loving discipline wakes you up and gets you back on the path. But here, this person has not really received the word. You know, basically they hear it, but then these other things pull them away. Pull them away. And it proves unfruitful. Really, those first three soils, what differentiates them between the last, the good soil, was that they they didn't bear fruit, ultimately, did they? They did not bear any fruit. And so, and that really brings us to uh, this heart response, number four, the fruitful heart. In verse eight, it says, other seeds fell on good soil. So this is the good soil. And produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. So there was a, a um, uh, there was fruit that came out of this. This, this, uh, Seed fell on good soil, it sprouted up, and then just, um, you know, had lots of fruit. Then in the explanation, Jesus says, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. In other words, they really get it. Not just get it here, up in their mind, but they get it right here. It hits them to the core. It really hits them to the core. And I don't, I don't even mean it doesn't have to be some kind of emotional response. I mean, everybody responds that, that comes to Christ and 
They're saved. It has all kinds of different experiences of that, you know. Some people, it's like, you know, I, you know, jumping, shouting, whatever. Other people, that, you know, for me, I was just on my bed in the dorm room at night, and I prayed, and I knew for sure, based on God's promises, I was a child of God. Based on what I just told the Lord in my prayer when nobody was around. And it's not about the experience, per se. It's about whether it's connected to the heart, whether we really understood it. And so, um, this person uh, understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields it, right? Um, now, so this person has taken in the gospel message and they've believed it, right? And, 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 it was just, and you get the idea, it wasn't a flash in the pan because that was the superficial response, right? This person uh, received it and believed it and it produced change or, or gave forth spiritual fruit. There was evidence there, you know, if you had to convict them of being a Christian in a court of law. There was evidence, okay, so to speak, that they truly believed. And, uh, you know, that fruit varies from person to person, but there is fruit uh, that, that they have come to put their faith in Jesus and submitted to his way of living. Okay? There is fruit. What differentiates this condition from the rest, I mentioned, is just the fruit. The fruit is the evidence that someone has received the word. And my friends, you know, the book of James is really all about that fruit, right? Faith without works is dead. Um, we, it says, you know, if you have authentic faith in Jesus, there will be evidence there. There will be works that show that. There will be um, changes that are happening from the inside out. Uh, the Thessalonian church was a good testimony to this fact, the Thessalonian church. Paul writes this in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. He says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us. So Paul's like, we delivered the word of God to you, and you received it. Um, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is. The Word of God, which is at work in you believers. Now, did you hear that? So he's saying, like, you, when, you, when the gospel message goes out and someone receives it, they receive it for what it is. This is what God says. This is really the Word of God. This is the will of God. This is not some dude's idea or some woman's idea. This is God speaking. And this is what he has come to tell us through his son Jesus, right? is that we're lost in our sin, but he came to rescue us. And if I will put my faith in him, he'll save me and forgive me and change me. And see, when you understand that when that message is delivered, that it's actually from God, you say, yes, Lord, right? Uh, I was talking with Thomas uh, Barnett a, a while ago, and he was reminding me one time I said in a message that, the day I came, I put my faith in Jesus, you could have just, the only thing you would have had to say to me to push me over the edge to receive Christ was, Mary had a little lamb. You know, his name was Jesus, you know. You know and that's all you would have had to say because I was ready. The, 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 it was good soil, and it wasn't because of anything I did. God works the soil. 
That's important. God works the soil of people's hearts. I've never yet been able to change a person's heart. Okay, God does the heart changing. Okay, and that's important for us to remember. And and but the Thessalonian church was a good illustration of a fruitful heart. It's like they sowed the gospel seed there. They were ready. They received the message of Jesus with open arms and embraced it, and it bore fruit because. The very last phrase in that verse I read, 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, um, when it talks about the word of God, which is at work in you believers. You see, that's the fruit, isn't it? The word of God is at work in you believers, right? And, and as, as you probably know, when you come to faith in Jesus, right, you start learning things. He's, you know, you get into the word of God and you start uh Seeing his will for you and what he, how he wants you to live, and 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 it's not just the just human effort, uh, you know, some kind of you know your own renovation project of your own life, but it's it's the power of the word and understanding his will along with your effort, okay, and that's that's what happens. That's the fruit. That's there's authentic fruit in every true believer, and Jesus is telling his disciples. When you guys go out and you scatter the seed of the gospel, you know, you know, I don't know if we can say, you know, every three out of four, <laughs> but he's simply saying a lot of the times you're going to see these types of responses, right? Some will just out and reject it. Some, uh, it's just not going to have any depth to it. Uh, it'll just be short-lived. It seems like there's something there, but then the the world gets in there and just shows you there was really nothing substantive there. But then there will be times when ones will respond, right? Now, does anybody here have, like, a Holy Spirit heart scanner? I don't. You know, that where you can go say, I wonder what her... Is she ready for this message to hear the gospel? Is he ready? You know, we don't have that. So what does that mean? You got to scatter that seed indiscriminately, right? You don't base it on how they look, where they came from, whether they're standing on a street corner or whether they're on Wall Street. It doesn't matter. You got to scatter the seed because you have no idea what God is doing in their heart, you have no, you don't have the Holy Spirit heart scanner unless the Lord gives you some kind of special word or something. Okay, I'm just saying, you you gotta just scatter it. Don't hold back. Keep sowing the gospel. And that's the thing. As I was thinking about, you know, I think the, I think when you think of if you know if you're here today and you've not put your faith in Jesus, I think the application. Um, you've probably figured that out. It's kind of like, which soil am I? Am I? Have I? You know, am I ready to receive this? Have I rejected it in the past? Well, maybe now you're closer to receive. That, you know, so this is the this is the great thing too is that, um, you know, because there were there were times where I was hardened to the gospel, but then as time went on, and another time. Things, circumstances in my life changed, and I was, I was ready. So, you know, you may scatter the seed on someone's heart at one time, and they're not ready, 
but then somebody else, a year or two later, scatters it, and they are ready, more receptive, right? And so maybe that's where you are today. Maybe in the past you were like, mm, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I'm not ready for that because I know what that means about my friends and, and all this and that and the other. But maybe you're ready. And if you're ready, if you're like, if you, you get the fact that Jesus loves you so much that he went to the cross and died for you the most in the most inhumane way possible on a cross, suffered for your sin and my sin. If you, and you get that, and you get that he's saying, you know what? If you will believe in me and confess your sin to me, what I'm doing up on this cross, that'll take care of your sin. But if you don't, then you will pay it in hell. You will pay for it. Because it's one or the other. Somebody's going to pay. We will either accept Christ's payment for our sins and, and, and confess our sin to him and, and just honestly recognize the, the sinfulness of sin, right? just how offensive our lives are to God when we are living life apart from him. He, he made us. You know, ha- giving the creator his rightful place in our life is just the only thing that would be right to do. And so this morning, I just encourage you that if you uh, are ready uh, to put your faith in Jesus, it's, it, it, it's not hard because it's just simply, you're basically in your heart saying, God, I want it. I acknowledge my sin before you. I know Jesus is the Savior who died on the cross for my sin. I want the forgiveness. I want you in my life. Please come into my life. You know, and, and when I did that many years ago, I had no idea what that would mean. Like, I knew, what the, I knew what it meant, what I was doing. I knew that when I did that, God honored his promises. But he says, because he says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. And I knew that moment I prayed that prayer because it came from the heart. I was a child of God. I was heaven bound. I was forgiven. The Holy Spirit was in me. Now God's got stuff for me to do. Don't know what it is. Don't know where it'll be. You know, it's kind of like signing up and saying, you just sign here. We're not going to tell you what everything is involved. But you learn as you go along. You don't have to know it all ahead of time. You just have to know that you're a sinner and that you're in need of a Savior and Jesus is it. That's it. And you just tell them that in your own way, okay? So if that's you today, man, I just say, like Paul said, I implore you, be reconciled to God. Accept Christ. Um, if you've already put your faith in Jesus, there's some encouraging things here for us uh, in this uh, when we think about just applying this to our lives. Um, so we already mentioned, right, one of the ways we bear the fruit of the kingdom is by sowing the seed of the gospel in the lives of others, right, as believers. Now, Jesus' disciples had already been sent in Matthew 10 to sow seeds of the kingdom by spreading the message of salvation. And undoubtedly, just as Jesus had promised, they faced some resistance, right? Um, and, and so, listen, you can't worry about the resistance, right? Because what did he tell those people, what did he tell the disciples when he sent them out? He's basically like, hey, you go there, you go, you knock on that door, or, or you talk to that person at work, or that neighbor, and you, you sow that seed of the gospel, and if they're a person of peace, they'll receive you. If they're not, they'll reject you and go on your way. 
doesn't mean you can't be their friend, by the way. Uh, right? That doesn't mean that at all. But he's just simply saying about sowing that seed. Maybe, be, maybe there'll be another time. May, may it even be you. You got you sow it again with the same person. You know, you just need got to be open to this as a believer. He's just going to indiscriminately. You got to sow that seed because God changes hearts. But He's encouraging us in this parable. I think just to realize, just keep sowing, sow abundantly, sow abundantly. Um, it, you know, I'm a, I'm a math person. There's a part of me that has just a math brain. Uh, but I'm not like a pure mathematician. I'm not you know, totally weird, okay? Because there are some really, okay, now you may differ on that. I know, I knew it was coming. Somebody saying, yeah, you don't really know Greg. He's a weirdo, man. Um, <laughs> I'm a cool mathematician. That's, up here, that's what I am, you know? Yeah, oxymoron. Yes, that's good. That's so true. Yeah, I can't be that same. But um, where was I going with that? There was some, what's that? Yeah, there's something really important I wanted to share with you uh, about that. Oh, yes. Um, so there's something called the law of large numbers. You ever heard that? Um, okay, the law of large numbers. It's like if you do something enough times, like it's going to happen. Like whatever you're trying to do, is going to you'll be accomplished eventually. We kind of used the law of large numbers when we started our church years ago. We made 10,000 phone calls in the Hilliard area. We got out of that about 10%, about 1,000 people on a mailing list. And then our opening Sunday, we had 10% of those people show up. There are some of you here who are part of that. Okay, law large numbers. Okay, now, God is not restrained by any kind of these laws. He makes these laws, right? All I'm simply saying is, my brother-in-law said this once, Tim, Tim Harris. He said, because he talked to some people who were um, basically saying they didn't need to share the gospel, that God was going to save whoever wanted to be saved. And he, and he would basically say, well, how many people have you led to Christ? And they'd say, well, not very many. And, and Tim was like, well, I find that the more I share, the more God saves people. You know? He's like, if I, you know, if I get the gospel out there enough, eventually some, I'm going to see some fruit. Now, maybe you won't. Maybe you'll be like, you know, one of the prophets in the Old Testament, and you're just working the ground, and, man, there is nothing happening. And, hey, as long as you're faithful, that's the key, right? But my point here is that I don't think typically in the church in America today we have problems with people over-sowing. I think it's like, no, we're under-sowing or we're not sowing. And so just this is just kind of a challenge us to remember that you don't know what's going on in that person's heart. You just sow the gospel. You love them uh, regardless of the response. But like I mentioned earlier, um, you know, it's important that we understand people's receptivity to the gospel can change over time, right? Um, often God-ordained circumstances of life can bring about a spiritual heart condition that is more receptive, okay? Um, for example, God uses difficult things like divorce, health crisis, death, economic problems, government shutdowns, losing a job, a new baby, or a new job just to mention a few, to prepare the soil of someone's heart. So, uh, or just add a normal day. I'm just saying that, but oftentimes, you will find that at sometimes in crises of life, uh, somebody is looking to God that might not be looking to him at any other time. You need to be aware of that. You need to be aware of that. Somebody shares something intimate with you about a struggle, you need to be realized, hey, God might be working here. 
And so um, this is a good word for parents with rebellious children that, you know, God's, uh, he, you know, might not see anything right now, but maybe your child will be receptive at another time. Um, it's a good word for those with spouses who are hard-hearted towards the gospel. God can change the hardest heart by speaking to them. And it's a good word for those who, with friends and coworkers who seem to be just totally apathetic to the gospel. Keep sowing. Keep sowing. This is a good word for missionaries around the world who serve in extremely difficult areas where there seems to be no receptivity to the gospel. But Jesus' message is don't stop sowing. Don't stop sowing. Yes, there is a, uh, an adversary who is at work to rip the seed from hearts. And yes, there are pressures and persecutions and worries and wealth to keep people from receiving the message. But nevertheless, keep sowing the seed. Then hope and pray and trust that the Lord of the harvest will indeed bring about the fruit of the gospel. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this parable, for this story. And thank you so much that we had Jesus explain it to us. Lord, just help us to, um, I just pray for anyone here that hasn't received Christ as Savior, God, that you would um, draw them to yourself, wrap them in your arms, and let them know how much you love them and desire them to become your child by believing, by putting their faith in you. And Lord, those of us who already know Christ as Savior, God, help us to bear fruit in your name. Help us to let you do, continue to do work in our hearts to bring about um, transformation, to become more Christ-like. God, help us to not judge based on appearances whether somebody is ready or not. Just let us be obedient to, to sow the seed of the message of Jesus wherever we find ourselves. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.